You're listening to a podcast from the Queen Mary Centre for the History of the Emotions. We've created this series of short audio pieces to introduce listeners to what we do. As historians of emotions, we look to the past to understand our feelings in the present. In this episode, Jules Evans offers a spellbinding tale of ecstasy in the jungle. Will he be able to optimise himself by taking drugs? And what are the psychedelic humanities? I'm holding in my hand a bottle of eau de cologne from Peru, which I was given when I went to Peru to take part in an ayahuasca ritual last year. It's called Agua de Florida, and it smells pretty sweet and sickly. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it before a date, but this is magic eau de cologne because it was blessed by shaman. So what does this bottle of cheap eau de cologne have to do with my research and the history of emotions? Over the last five years, I've been researching the history of ecstatic experiences in Western culture. People think that ecstasy means just the emotion of feeling very, very happy. In fact, I interpret it in the older ancient Greek sense of ecstasis, which literally means standing outside. An ecstatic experience is a moment where you go beyond your ordinary sense of self and reality and feel deeply connected to something greater than you. That could be the gods, or it could be nature, it could be the nation, it could be a group of other people. Now, that kind of experience, which often is is a very kind of altered state, it can be euphoric and blissful, but it can also be terrifying. So it can be accompanied by different emotions. And my thesis is basically that since around the Reformation, Western society has marginalized ecstatic experience and pathologized them. So in um, materialist biomedicine, ecstatic experiences have stopped being seen as something that can be very significant and valuable and meaningful for an individual and their society. And they've come to be basically symptoms of mental illness. Um, It was called enthusiasm in the Enlightenment, which was a bad thing. It was called hysteria in late 19th century psychiatry. Now, if you went to a psychiatrist and said you felt deeply connected to the spirit of all things and in communication with that spirit, there's a chance you might be diagnosed with psychosis. In the words of Aldous Huxley, if you have an ecstatic experience today, you keep it quiet about it in case you're sent to the psychiatrist. And yet, of course, there have been countercurrents in our culture, things like Methodism, Pentecostalism, Romanticism, attempts to revalidate ecstatic experience. And the really big change in our culture was in the 1960s, which was kind of a mass explosion of ecstatic practices back into Western culture. Things like rock and roll, things like charismatic Christianity, Eastern practices like meditation and yoga, and psychedelics. And yet, I think that we still have a rather unbalanced relationship to ecstasy. We're either very averse of it, terrified of losing control, terrified of getting out of our heads in case we go crazy or get brainwashed, or in some aspects and some subcultures of Western culture, people are very attached to ecstasy, like in charismatic Christianity or in the New Age. They're all desperately searching for the next thrill, the next high, the next meaningful experience. So... 
one of the things I try to look at in my research is whether we can have a more balanced attitude to ecstasy, where it's just part of our spiritual lives rather than being terrified of it or too holding on to it. So I wrote a book called The Art of Losing Control, where I went searching for ecstatic experiences, how people find them, how they make sense of them in Western culture, and when they're good for you and when they're bad for you, because of course there are often risks to ecstasy. One of the things I did was go to South America to try ayahuasca. I did it after the book came out because I wanted to try it myself and I didn't want to go crazy before a book tour. I didn't want to have to, you know, talk about ecstatic experiences at a festival if I was feeling a bit wobbly myself. So I cleared the decks, finished all the book publicity and then went to Iquitos in Peru. So we flew to Iquitos, which is this uh, town in the jungle that you can only reach by plane or, or boat. Uh, met up with the other 20 tourists, from, mainly from America. We got a boat an hour up the tributary of the Amazon and then walked to the, this place called the Temple of the Way of Light. So I met my fellow pasajeros, as they were called, and people were there suffering from serious depression or trauma or grief. And they were really there looking for... It was a kind of, in some ways, a last-chance saloon. You know, traditional Western medicine or therapy had failed them. A lot of people were, were there looking for healing. And other people were looking just to kind of find a connection to God. There was a guy from Silicon Valley who just said he was there to optimise himself. And for five nights over this 10-day retreat in the jungle... We would gather together in this ceremonial wood hall and drink this psychedelic potion together. So imagine the sounds of the jungle. You're sitting there, you've just drunk this potion, you're waiting nervously for it to take effect. The frogs are bellowing around you, the crickets are chirruping, and as the drugs begin to take effect, you hear people beginning to purge, beginning to be sick from the effects of the drugs. It's this kind of physical and emotional healing. It summons up these emotional problems from your past and then helps you to purge them through being sick into your vomit bowl. And I want you to imagine you're in there, you've just drunk this rather disgusting potion you put on some of your magic perfume to make yourself more inviting to the spirits and you sit there in darkness listening to the noises of the forest. And as you begin to come up on this psychedelic you hear the eerie singing of the Shipibo Indian shamans welcoming the spirit's arrival. And after about 45 minutes, you start to come up. You get what's called the seasickness, this rocking feeling, literally like you're in a hammock. And then the visuals and hallucinations appear really out of nowhere. So you go in about five minutes from having no visuals at all to being completely immersed in this other world. And then what happens over the next four hours is um, you have a kind of lucid dream where this plant shows you aspects of your life or your relationships or your past lives which 
you need to work on. At least that was my experience. If you can imagine this psychedelic potion as like a life coach guiding you and giving you advice. And I found it terrifying because it was an experience of full-on ego dissolution where at times I couldn't remember my name, I didn't know where I was, didn't have a body. So that was scary. But also very healing and therapeutic and bizarre. You know, you drink this plant potion and it gives you all this great advice. So when I came back to England, I wondered, was that what everyone's experience of ayahuasca is like? And, and the, is the way that Westerners make sense of their ayahuasca experiences similar to the way that the locals make sense of their experience? Do the Westerners and the local shamans have a similar idea of what's going on? And what I found out is that actually the Western tourists and the local Indians and shamans have completely different models of what's happening and of healing and of reality. Westerners bring a very kind of psychotherapeutic, new age and Christian idea of ayahuasca healing, where they go beyond their self and connect to some kind of transcendent reality, which they might call Mama Ayahuasca, but it's a totally benevolent kind of deity who helps them to heal by guiding them through their emotional problems, mainly from their childhood, and they learn to kind of forgive their mummy and daddy and so forth. In some ways, a very Western model. For Amazon Indians and for the shamans, if you get ill, that's probably because someone's cursed you. It's a sorcery model of illness. So you take ayahuasca with a shaman to identify who is the person who secretly cursed you, to remove that curse and possibly to get your revenge. Really, they've got very different models of what's going on. And yet the Western tourist and the Amazon shaman meet in the incredible intensity of this ceremony and everyone goes away happy, even though there's been you know, two different models of, of what's happening. Anyway, it makes me wonder, what's the place of ecstatic experiences in Western culture? Because in some ways there are risks of Western tourists going to the Amazon, to a completely different culture, to open their minds and souls to really a completely different model of reality. And that can be quite hard to come back to. I suspect that over the next five to ten years, psychedelics are going to become legalized and used for therapeutic purposes and we'll get this kind of center appearing more and more in the west so there are already ayahuasca churches that you can go to in holland and america there are ayahuasca clinics you can go to in portugal so i suspect we're going to see more of these kind of places and i think this is where the humanities come in the psychedelic humanities you could say because you've got to think what are the rituals that will be therapeutic for westerners what are the theologies and ontologies that make sense of the psychedelic experience in healthy ways for westerners what are the kind of guidelines, the ethical guidelines that clinics like this use so that people can go beyond themselves safely? And that's where I think the humanities have a real role to play. And I think as academics study psychedelics more and research them and take them, that will also change the culture of higher education in a healthy way. Because psychedelics do literally get us out of our heads. They go take us beyond analytical rationality and I think there's a real danger that Western academics get stuck in that and that's not good for them emotionally and I think it narrows their vision of reality so that's why I think a more ecstatic university is a good thing.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Queen Mary Centre for the History of the Emotions. It's part of the Living with Feeling project funded by the Wellcome Trust. We hope it helps you feel better.